In this third episode, we sit down with John Nugent, owner and creator of The Diplomat in Hong Kong. John grew up in the Northwest Pacific and uh, has worked in various bars in the West Coast and the East Coast and also in Europe before he found his way into Hong Kong. During tumultuous times in Hong Kong, John set out to open his own bar called The Diplomat. John is extremely passionate about what he does and that brings a level of energy to wherever place you find him in. The Diplomat is unique in that it combines a pub-like atmosphere with excellent cocktails and at the same time comfort food and cookies at midnight. And plus, his very own secret. So we look forward to hearing more here today from John. A uh, man of the world uh, has seen a lot, has done a lot. Um, John, what's going on? Not much. Just uh, hanging out, having a beer in the social club at the Diplomat. The social club at the Diplomat. Yeah. Uh, not everybody knows about this place. Uh, is yeah. it supposed to be that way, right? Yeah, and uh, we uh, well, we have a we have a kind of two or three uh, parts to our bar where we uh, feature different uh, experiences, if you will. We have a, what we like to call the tavern in front, a uh, very casual pub style feel with uh, brasserie style food, and uh, you can stand up at the bar counter or have a seat at on our tall banquette and just enjoy the night. And then we have a little bit of a more of a secret room that we don't necessarily. Uh, we, we basically offer it by referral and booking only. Okay. And uh, through that process, it curates a, a clientele that uh, isn't afraid of a certain price point, but also we can just provide a different type of experience. We don't necessarily reject any anybody, but uh, uh, we try to uh, advise for that. You have a door policy, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you had that before, right? You worked in, uh, I think it was in, in Boston. You had a hotel yeah. at the Thompson Hotel. Yeah. Also, The Thompson was in Seattle. But yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, so, yeah, I mean, we had a pretty strict door policy up there. Uh, we had a rooftop and uh, it was kind of the who's who of Seattle. Uh, we would host professional athletes and uh, uh, different uh, celebrities that uh, lived and worked in Seattle at the time. And it, yeah, it was a tough place to get into. Right. Yeah. Okay. And so how did you get into this A game of a bar? I mean, was it a, a place you were in because it's a hotel or um, is it just the hard work you put in uh, the menu? What what gets the vibe going of a place? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the, the funny thing about bartending and bar, even bar owning and whatnot, you kind of uh, you kind of fall into it, you know, not a lot of people go to school, except maybe if you go to a really nice, one of those really nice schools in Sweden or something for hospitality, you kind of, there's something about it that has like an addictive quality to it. Mm. You get some, uh, the proverbial high off of a, a busy shift. Uh, there's adrenaline moments. There's, uh, you know, and, uh, there's, there's just different, just, uh, a bunch of different hypothetical situations where if you, do well and you accomplish it, uh, you really, you really start falling in love with it and you forget about the hours, you forget about, uh, the late nights and you just kind of just start falling in love with that process. And that's, and I'm the, uh, I am the prototypical person of that. I started as a bar back. Uh, my mom used to love going out to restaurants. And so when I started working at a certain restaurant that my mom used to like going to, I felt, uh, incredibly accomplished and, uh, And then it just kind of went from there. And when mm. I got behind a bar that uh, my friends thought were cool, I felt super cool. And uh, and then I just started reading. I read. I started reading different books about the hospitality industry. And yeah, it just became an obsession. Mm. And uh, and you know, while cocktails is basically my segue for F and B and hospitality, it's really just 
that interaction with people constantly and meeting these different people and presenting situations just like the one we're in where it was just over conversa- conversations over a table or over a bar top. And that's how we got it going. Right. And so Diplomat is the first concept you've done, sort of soup to nuts, everything in creating it? or what Yeah, you- yeah. So um, basically uh, uh, myself and, you know, a handful of investors, uh, some silent partners, some not silent partners uh, who have a lot of input on the space. Uh, Kevin Poon, uh, Gerald Lee, uh, who are incredibly uh uh, thoughtful and uh, are very logistically savvy in some cases and just very big picture in others. And we sat down, the three of us, and we put this bar on paper and how we wanted to accomplish it. And, um, you know, yes, we have like some concept driven things, but we really wanted to make a bar that was for Hong Kong. Uh, and that's just not to be said, like, you know, we're we're only here to serve people that live in Hong Kong. Hong Kong is an international city, so you can come from the States and not and not be overwhelmed by the style of uh, service we give. You can come from Japan and have like a really uh, delicate experience, if you will. Uh, and London, Paris, anywhere, you know, South America, even like we really we really have made this bar very malleable mm. to different personalities and different people from around the world. Okay. It's just unfortunate we haven't shown that to anybody yet. <laughs> okay. So how long did it take you to to get this all together? Did you put it to paper? You, previously, you worked at Lily Bloom, right? This was Lily and Bloom, yeah, yeah. So uh, when I uh, so Lily and Bloom uh, was a great bar. Uh, uh, everybody had been to Lily and Bloom at least once. It had a really storied uh, history of around for eight years. Huge People, space, right? Yeah, big space, two floors, uh, restaurant on the bottom, bar on top. Uh, cigar tasting room, not cigar room, yeah. uh, you know, blind and, pig. uh, lo- the blind pig, very, very popular. And so we had a lot of people from different walks of life coming in. A lot of accomplished chefs been through there that, you know, now chefs that been there own a couple of restaurants. Mm. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, um, uh, uh, Calvin Koo, the owner, uh, passed away and, uh, and the, uh, they decided to sell it and, uh, which was probably for the better. And, um, uh, during that process, I sat down with Gerald and, you know, he talked to me about a handful of things and I just said to him, you know, I really just want to own a bar and I, and I need help. And, um, you know, he really gave me a, a, a very good pathway into doing that. And, and now we're even like, you know, starting to, well, you know, things are very precarious still, you know, we're even talking about now doing, moving on to a, a second concept. So okay. it's very, very exciting. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Before we talk about that and and sort of the timing of it all, where uh, where do you start when it comes to uh, creating a concept? I mean, uh, it's the first time you did it, but you've seen a bunch of other places, right? So, where, what's your thought process when you say like, okay, this is you had the venue first, mm-hmm. the space was, um, you know, to steal a, a line from uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Becca Lee Franks, who owns the Pontiac. You know, we we throw around terms like concept a lot, but uh, it's about uh, culture, not hmm. concept. Okay. So we try to create a culture of, of what we want to present to our guests and how our staff works and how we treat each other, both uh, professionally and hospitality wise. And then, and then we kind of mirror that from there. Uh, when it comes to the space, you know, uh, basically, uh, we, we went around to, uh, you know, all these different venues. And we, we were kind of in agreement that we did not want to be some uh, atypical ground floor 
uh, hustle bustle uh, in the, in the middle of the neighborhood type of thing. Uh, we wanted to be off the beaten track, but you know, not super far, but you know, like a little bit off the beaten track hidden. Uh, you know, we did throw around, I mean, uh, terms like dark alleys, you know, downstairs basement kind of vibe. And, uh, we fell into this and, mm. and when we were con when we were like concepting the space out, we wanted to have two different venues where we could apply to specifically two different type of guests who want two different types of experience, which is very unusual for a bar, no, as it goes. Yeah. I mean, there, there are definitely a handful of bars around the world that have two different concepts going at the same time. Uh, but, uh, I don't think to this degree, we, we have presented something where you can walk into the diplomat and literally have a beer and a burger and, and that could be it and just enjoy yourself. And we encourage that and we want people to have that great food. Everybody should try it out. Yeah. Yeah. We're very proud of our food, but then also, um, we want, we, but then we have this other experience where people can come in, have a beautiful cocktail and as the night progresses, we can even ramp it up a little bit and we can try to change that experience to the point where we can throw you your own private party. Right. You got DJ right behind here is yeah, a yeah. DJ booth. So it's coming down basically. Right? Yeah. yeah. A good night. Yeah, yeah. If you want. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it can happen. Make it happen. So timing wise, um, oh, let's speak about culture because that's pretty exciting. It's very difficult to nurture and develop a culture. I mean, you have a toolbox where you say, this is what we do. Or is it every time you go in a place, you sort of... Uh, have a different approach to, you know, what the culture is. So you have some basics, I mean, respect and all that. Yeah. Uh, how does culture develop? Well, I mean, it's repetition, it's consistency, uh, it's being thoughtful, but, um, yeah, I mean, and it's kind of like, and it depends on, you know, what the, uh, the investors slash owners want. Sometimes the investors slash owners just want this thing executed a certain way. And, from somebody who's worked ops for uh, quite a long time, we just do it to that degree. We make sure it's done right. And, and we make sure we provide good hospitality. We, we do strong standard operating procedures and we go from there. Uh, when you have somebody who comes from such a heavy ops background, you know, and these bartender driven bars, that's where you kind of develop this culture because we are here. We, we, we're kind of generating revenue through hospitality. We're not generating like hospitality through revenue, if right. you will, you know? Uh, so it's, you know, we don't say, oh, you spend a lot. We treat you better. We try to have this consistency of service. And then, you know, we, we reward loyalty as far as guests go it, through hospitality and whatnot. And then we try to retain guests through other measures as well. So when you go into a bar anywhere in the world, how, what kind of pointers are you looking for? What's going down? Can you tell quickly is like this place is, is legit or, you know, how do you how do you size up? I a, mean, yeah, I mean, you know, it's so funny about, you know, the difference between restaurants and bars, right? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, especially now with Instagram, there's very few surprises. You kind of just you see some stuff on Instagram. You kind of know what to expect and you walk in there, um, you know, restaurants. You know, even if the decor is not to your liking and whatnot, if the food on the plate is really good and beautiful and tastes delicious, you kind of get past that. With the bar, it's all encompassing. Mm. It really is. Like, um, I've been to bars that I, I will go to tomorrow that don't serve good drinks. Okay. But the fact that what it is and who they are, it's so special. 
And I've been to bars that serve unbelievably great drinks, like really balanced, really delicious. But I don't know if I'll ever go back there again hmm. just because I didn't feel comfortable there. Um, the vibe wasn't good. Uh, so it really is a collection of a lot of things. You know, I like to walk into a bar. I see warm lighting. I like to be greeted pretty quickly. I don't want to, uh, you know, I mean, I don't necessarily want to feel like I need to be guided, but, you know, just shown in the right direction of where I should go to make me the happiest, mm -hmm. you know, like, oh, you know, if you if you're more of a bar person, there's the bar or you like tables sit over there, you know, like, oh, OK, great. You like you're you're giving me options on what I like. And and so and then, yeah. And then finally, when I start sitting down at the bar or at, at a table, but most likely the bar, you know, I'm looking at the menu, I'm seeing how it's. Uh, constructed, whether it's more trying to tell me a story or if it's trying to be more volume service, uh, where a lot of information is right in front of me so I can just bang out a cocktail order. What menus don't work? I mean, you've seen probably a lot of menus. Anything where it's like, good Lord, this doesn't make sense to me. I mean, is there's it a very plenty. personal thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I, I have a hard time with these like menus that try to tell you a story. You know, uh, I, I first off, if you believe in your concept, you 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 yourself have to be there to tell people what it is, no, ma no matter what, whether mm. it's this complicated menu or very straightforward, you either you or your staff really have to be on the same page about how you present your, you know, concept culture. Right. So uh, so when you just so if you just get a menu and it's. And unless it's very, very specific and very well laid out, most of the time you, you need a little bit of help. Right. So uh, if you just give me a menu and it's like this storytelling thing and I'm like flipping page after page after page and pictures and it's beautiful, but it's like, you know, where's the drink? It's it, it gets a little daunting sometimes. Right. You just want to get straight to the straight down to business. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so you opened obviously in March 2020. When, yeah, um, officially, kind of, yeah. Officially, yeah. And you had the, um, well, we had uh, in Hong Kong, it was not smooth sailing from last summer onwards, basically. Yeah. So, and then we have COVID. So, how does all that impact you? As you mentioned earlier, you don't have uh, tourists or international visitors to the bar, but it seems it's popping every night. So, it's not yeah. like it's, it. somehow you managed to get this bar launched in the most challenging of times. How did, I mean, is it because you consistent... And all the things you mentioned earlier, or 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 you expected it to be even crazier when when borders open up. I mean, how's that? Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, the people that that have uh, invested in this bar, me, you know, we had a we had an idea, we had a thought, you know, about what we can present to people and who we want to attract. So yeah, I think when the borders open up, you know, it's a different ball game for a lot of us, and uh, and we're excited. Absolutely. You know, uh, we 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 can't wait. Uh, but till then, you know, we love we love and breathe uh, Hong Kong and um, the people that come here, uh, you know, will never be forgotten, especially in our first year, which, you know, you know, knock on wood and everything when diplomats 10 years old, you know, we'll we'll be like telling people about the people that came to our bar our first year mm. and just, you know, how tough a year it was. And, you know, between government regulations going up and down, uh, how many capacity, you know, the the real killer camp being open past six. 
Uh, and but people still came, still pe- people still supported. Yeah, daytime and, drinking is a thing. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know, and we, uh, you know, we we changed a little bit of how we presented it, but but people came out, and you know, it hasn't been easy. It hasn't been perfect, but you know, we we're pretty proud of how we're still getting along. So. Hmm. And we're still pushing like I get pushed every day and I, you know, I love it and I hate it from uh, our guys because they know what what we're capable of and right. we're still not there. And you, we talked about earlier, but you've seen uh, the U.S., Boston, Seattle, you went to Greece, right? Yeah, yeah. Greece was more. I mean, I guess I learned. Uh, I don't know if I learned anything in Greece, but I definitely uh, I definitely got a perspective for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. OK, that. Yeah, I guess it was a busy place, like a tourist hotspot. Yeah, of. yeah. It was I not mean, a quite back. You know, uh, very back short uh, history of me in Greece was uh, I bartended at a hospital themed nightclub called Rehab. Okay. And our hours were from 11 p.m. to 5 a.m. So basically, it was an overnight shift. And from about 11:30 midnight, you were rammed until about 4, 4 30. Okay. And it had every type of person from every type of part of the world and they were all there just a party and you worked six days a week um and it was it was crazy so so you've seen obviously uh the u.s in two east coast west coast yeah europe i mean the madness of europe and uh in hong kong so what from a from a bar perspective the, the clientele you get in is there anything you could say or do these markets evolve differently in terms of the cocktails or the drinks that are sort of popular is there you know that you get if you think back like 10 years ago it was schweppes was our tonic water yeah now we have like fever tree and, and a lot of choices right uh, quite a few and it's for the better right yeah three cents dry tonic shut up but there's still a lot of places you go where yeah. um There's only one tonic, and it's pretty. Yeah. It's pretty rough, right? Yeah, yeah. Beef eater gin with Schweppes was a thing at one point, right? Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, I mean, so so we also had a big explosion in sort of uh, gin, uh, you know, craft, uh, craft uh, sort of small batch gin and all this stuff, where local producers come out and try their thing, and and there's now a huge selection that wasn't there to that extent maybe 20 years ago, right? Yeah. When it was all big brands, Diageo were kind of dominating the scene. What what, what so? What do you make of that, the bigger trend of how beverage spirits has evolved? And I mean, you know, it's the trend goes where the consumer goes. So you've definitely seen the reason why you see more tonics and more and even more spirits is because the guest is starting to care what they put in their body. You know, you can say the same thing for culinary, right? Like French cuisine, like high end French cuisine was pretty limited up until I don't know, a couple of decades ago. And, you know, the most you would see was in obviously in uh, France. And but then it was just like these really large market cities. Right. Like if you wanted to go to a very like there'd probably be one in this in each uh, city. But and then, you know, quite a few in like New York and L.A. and and in the bigger markets and obviously, you know, around the world. But but now, you know, there's I mean, you can't even count how many Italian, French cuisines there are out there because it's a delicious it's delicious and it's great the same thing goes with alcohol you know um people see some people see something that uh is different cool weird delicious and they want to try it and they fall in love with it and they keep going um and obviously highballs uh, in any aspect when it whether it's vodka soda gin and tonic or even a whiskey highball um 
they're a part of that 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 mantra. Mm. So instead of having, you know, uh, I won't say beef eater because I love beef eater, but okay. uh, <laughs> uh, but like you Gordon's, know, Gordon's maybe I, uh, just a low shelf. You know, I don't want to get in trouble. A uh, low shelf Seven Eleven gin, you know, with a warm tonic, where everybody was drinking that not that long ago, to you know, making sure your tonic's cold, making sure it's a good quality gin, making sure you have good ice, people, and making sure you have like a nice fruit. People really care uh, about what they're drinking now and and they're very specific you know i mean it, it was literally an overnight thing where somebody gave me you know uh hell for not putting a cucumber in a hendrix and tonic you know right. like i just I, I remember that day so vividly when i poured a hendrix and tonic and that guy looked at me like i was crazy for not putting a cucumber in it where was this in yeah, this was in seattle, seattle so this was my okay. first bartending job and they looked at me like i was crazy mm-hmm. and i was like man, this is my first time pouring this. I, I had no idea, you know, and I've never not put a cucumber. I mean, I usually ask the guests, but, uh, you know, I, yeah, I mean, that's what people want and whether it's a trend or something they read, but that's, that's. Right. Any spirits that excite you more than others? I mean, uh, would you say. Any spirits? In spirits. Yeah. yeah. You say like uh, gin versus vodka versus uh, I mean, pisco, like smaller stuff. I, I'm style. a, I'm a huge American whiskey fan. Okay. Uh, it, uh, it is uh, one uh, it is one of the most scrutinized spirits in the world, probably like second to uh, tequila, maybe, uh, as Jay Khan from Co could probably tell you. But um, it has uh, a huge, huge litany of rules uh, behind it. It cannot be a certain thing on on so many different le- levels, you know, whether it's charred American oak, uh, aged a certain amount of time, proofed a certain way, the mash bill. Uh, so there's a lot of, uh, scrutiny behind it and, uh, they, and, you know, and even after all those rules, it still has to taste good. And, uh, it's, uh, it's really, really good. And I, I really enjoy the different presentations of it, uh, between, you know, and like, and you can just go down the rabbit hole of weeded bourbons and, uh, uh, antique and vintage and trying stuff from yesteryear with different distillers and, People will drink it just because, oh, it's vintage, but also you get to try it from a different distiller who had a different thought process mm. because it really does make a difference. And the crazy thing is that the distillers or the masters, they only have about, in their lifetime, only have five batches where they can really, you know, after the aging process in their yeah, career. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. You have a very long sort of uh, period where you just don't know what's going to work or not, right? Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. I mean, nerve wracking in a way. Uh, Jimmy Russell always said uh, when I, uh, the he's the head distiller of Wild Turkey. He uh, he always made this joke. He's like, I wish you guys told me that rye was going to be so popular. Otherwise, I would have made a lot more of it. <laughs> exactly. You know, because he's he constantly sells out. So how do you stay on top of uh, trends? I mean, you, you got to educate yourself, right? There's nobody comes around and teaches you something. So how do you how do you learn? How do you grow? How do you how do you see what's happening? I mean, I'm pretty classically driven when, on the sense of cocktails. So there's kind of like two aspects. I look at it. I kind of see what people like and uh, look for in drinks, especially in in the community that you're in. But at the same time, I also try to, uh, you know, gravitate toward my own trends, you know, like, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm a bar that, you know, that serves, a an Irish coffee and chocolate chip cookies at night, Very you know, delicious, yeah. uh, at midnight. So, I mean, I, I try to 
give people things that I enjoy and what, you know, resonates like certain uh, memories and and um, just try to deliver on those. Uh, you know, if you if you keep following trends, uh, it, it gets you in a lot of trouble because um, it forces you. I mean, it's good to be forced to be creative, but it, it's really it, it puts you really against the wall if you uh, if you start you know, for lack of a better term, like a writer's block, if you will. So it's good to set your own trends through uh, what you believe in. And then you kind of go from there. So on Instagram, I saw you were experimenting with four different in four or five. Yeah. Yeah. Just like four or five. Uh, We're coming out with uh, a handful of cocktails probably in the next week or so. Um, And uh, once again, you know, it's not right. You know, like we're not trying to you know, invent the wheel. We just take flavors that we really care about and booze that we believe in. Uh, you know, there's not a booze on our back shelf that we think is just like, you know, to get paid or we just need it to make people like, you know, happy, you know, like I have, I have Amaretto, I have Di Sirono Amaretto. Like I like Di Sirono Amaretto. If you don't like it, I'm really (laughs) sorry. You know, Fernet you like as well, right? I like Fernet Branca. That's just, uh, I mean, it, well, to be fair, I'm a little, uh, I, I have, I've overdosed on it. I used to work at a bar called Citizen Public House in Boston. We had Fernet Bronco on tap. Wow. And so it's I like Jaeger on tap type of yeah, thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, you know, I, I've kind of lived my life through that tap at one aspect or another. Uh, but, um, yeah, we, we put a lot of stuff on our shelf that we care. We put everything on our shelf that we care about. And so you rotate that a lot yourself. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, we, I mean, we're, we're, we're constantly trying stuff. I, I'm probably the biggest pain in my pain in their ass to the, my suppliers. Cause I see something and I'm like, yeah, I want a sample of this immediately. Cause I want to mess with it a little bit. And then the minute I like it, I'm yelling at them to make it cheaper. And, and then, uh, so I can make it into a cocktail. Um, but yeah, so yeah, we're, we're always playing around with stuff. We, we do a lot of fat washing. We do a lot of infusions. Uh, we do it kind of in an old school esoteric way. We don't do rotovaps or centrifuges. Nothing against them. We just we like the we like to take that process and understand it a little bit more. And uh, that way, you know, part of our culture is to have our bartenders who are junior to basically once they leave here, they can go somewhere and and make a profitable experience. You know. I, uh, I, I, I'm a big believer in whoever works for me can, you know, if they put in the time and effort here can leave and then oper- operate, uh, a full fledged bar with the understanding that, you know, of costs and how to make something delicious and how to go into another place and not be like, I need, you know, this $10,000 piece of equipment and this $10,000 piece of equipment, and then we'll be the greatest bar ever. So they have the tools of the trade to have the understanding. So yeah. Proper, almost apprenticeship type of thing, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, we, we don't, yeah, exactly. I mean, we don't use those labels, but that's the point, you know, I mean, you know, it, it, it seems very superficial and silly to say, but at the end of the day, we're, we are all trying to make a buck and, you know, uh, if you can't give your staff the tools to do that later in life, you're just using them until, you know, for your own gains. Yeah. So we're trying, you know, the staff that's here now at Diplomat, every day, like uh, our newest guy, uh, you know, he's he's just on the floor, but uh, because he hasn't started prepping yet. But all of our staff preps uh, 
uh, and uh, they understand these different processes and how things are made and how things are done. And if they don't get it, they have to come up to me and then we have to talk about it, you know, and, and that's even with silly stuff like equipment. You know, why doesn't this equipment work properly? Hmm. And uh, and then we have to, like, talk about it or but but yeah, I mean, we're, we're right now we're working on like consommes. So, yeah. Right.